I began thinking about composition and arranging as a teenager. I had the fortune of being involved in Drieke Overton's mad theatrical production of Clara's Dream, A Jazz Nutcracker, which debuted at the Music Hall, I believe it was 99 or 2000. We did eight seasons over 10 years, I believe. And I just got to watch music director Paul Arslanian work with the choreographers, Drieke Overton, Josh Hilberman, Brenda Buffalino, Bob Thomas, Dean Diggins, West African dancer and drummer Sekou Sila, and a few others, and it was just amazing. So I got to watch all these professional, world-class performers creating stage productions. And then at UNH, when I was there, I created the score for the dance company show. I knew that was the type of work that I wanted to do. Composition, yes, but not just one piece or an album's worth of music, but a larger stage show with a you know, theatrical arc in mind. So a few years later, sort of on a whim, I decided that for uh, an RPM challenge project, which is to record an album in the month of February, I would recorded an album of piano music, but each piece was created in collaboration with a different choreographer based on a story idea. And the story was a fictional explorer by the name of Oliver Z. Wanderkook, and each choreographer was in charge of deciding what their tribe was like and what their dance looked like and the message they had to to express to Wanderkook as he visited their land. So we created that and put sort of put it on the shelf because I wasn't really sure how to produce the full stage production on my own. But luckily through relationships over the years I've assembled a team of uh, producers and creators and collaborators that are willing to jump on board and finally mount this, this large project that's taken 10 years to create. So this year, 2017, uh, we'll produce The Adventures of Oliver Z. Wanderkook. That was the origin story of how Wanderkook came to be, told by Johnny Pfeiffer, PMAC faculty. Uh, Johnny, along with Catherine Stewart of New Hampshire Theater Project, will be teaching a Wanderkook camp this summer, 2017, at PMAC for young students, early teens. It is a multimedia camp involving art, music, dance, video, anything you can imagine. Uh, so we hope you'll check that out. Maybe your child might be interested in that camp. Uh, we also have Dean Diggins, an artist from the Wandercook Project, showing his artwork at PMAC in late June of this year. I'm Russ Grazier, CEO of PMAC and host 
of Sound and Color, the PMAC podcast. In this episode, we have a conversation with local photographer Jay Shadler. Uh, Jay was the first artist to appear on PMAC's new West End Master Series, and he talks to us about his career in journalism and how he ended up moving to New England and settling here in the seacoast. We hope you enjoy this conversation. This afternoon, I have local artist Jay Shadler with me here at PMAC. Uh, Jay has a show in the Haas Family Gallery here at PMAC in the month of September and October. It's uh, 2016 for those of you way in the future who are listening to the <laughs> podcast back now. Um, but Jay's. Well, what a, about the people in the past? But the, well, the, you know, we shouldn't leave them out. We shouldn't leave the people in the past out either. Um, Jay and I got to know each other through a mutual friend. And um, we were very excited to have Jay be our first guest artist on the West End Master Series, which is a new series that PMAC is doing, um, bringing in local artists to talk about their work. And the first thing I was going to ask you, Jay, um, because we, we had a great turnout for that, but I'm assuming people are going to listen to this that weren't able to make your master artist or the Weston Master Series yeah. uh, talk. You titled the talk A Childlike Vision. Yes. And I... Um, I, I was very interested to hear what that means to you. So can you talk a little bit about why you chose that as a title for your talk when you spoke here and, and how you view that phrase as having importance to you as an artist? A um, couple things. When I'm in my studio and uh, parents come in with a child, uh, I always do the same thing. I throw a, a sketchbook and a bag of crayons on the floor. You don't have to say anything to anyone, and the child is down there creating, drawing, having a wonderful time, and being very free. I've never seen a parent get down and do it. I'm sure that some have, but if uh, if I were to do it with a group of parents, they definitely would not. Yeah, yeah. So the kids bring a sense of creative freedom that we lose along the way of the journey. That's the basic point. And I try very hard in my work and, uh, and in my art to go back and find that place. We have so many different technical tools now as, as artists. I do a lot with Photoshop. I do a lot with hand pa pastels and paints. But Photoshop is a good example. You know, you get locked in, like everything else, you get locked into certain ways you do things. And what you've got to get past is that ritual so you can get to a place that's fresh and new. And that's one of the, again, one of the things that a child so frequently will do. He doesn't care that he's painting the sky orange. He doesn't care that the ball is square, any of that. So with um, I, 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 this the one reason that I did the, uh, named the, the exhibit uh, the Childlike Vision is because of that. And the other is I'm a huge Van Morrison fan. Yep. And uh, one of the, First lines of Madame George's childlike vision. So I, get, I combined them. So how does music play into your art? You know, because that's always fascinating for me that a lot of musicians are heavily influenced by the visual art world yep. and visual artists are heavily influenced by the musical world. And because we have both of those worlds under one roof here at PMAC, I'm always curious how artists feel uh, 
how that plays into their work. It is. It's fascinating. It is. I, I mean, I've always loved music. I must say right at the top that the, the reason that I, I came here was one quick tour by mm-hmm. you at PMAC. This place is a remarkable oh, treasure for uh, this community. And for those who don't know anything about it, come, come by, obviously. So I have always listened to a lot of music, uh, and I love it. I don't watch television. I've mm-hmm. been in, you know, I've t- TV news as a network correspondent for 32 years, uh, but very rarely did I ever watch news. Did so I, you're like a musician who won't listen to their recordings. Exactly. <laughs> Same thing. I get it. Yeah. Um, but I always listen to music, and uh, I listen to it when I work. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a little vibe going on in the backdrop yep. there, and uh, it helps me maybe get into the zone a little bit. It takes me back to, oh, a child again. Yeah, yeah definitely. So, oh, that's good. Well, there's something about the magic of music that unlocks certain things in your subconscious, um, you know, and, and I guess there are aspects of that to every sense. Um, and there are sometimes when I see something in a work of art, yeah. it, it will unlock something in my subconscious. Do you that do I any with. visual arts? Um, actually, you know, it's interesting you ask that. I never really did, but when we started the school here, I made a commitment to take some lessons myself. And I took drawing lessons for about a year with one of our teachers, Anna Nuttall. And um, it was a fascinating process for me. And I still get out my sketch pad and draw. Um, but the experience of being a beginner at something again and doing something that's in a completely different paradigm uh, that's all visual and not sound related uh, was a remarkable experience for me. I spent a lot of time working on shading and different types of pencils. And I did all drawing with her. Um, and I... I, I wouldn't show my work anywhere, but it was incredibly rewarding for and me to do that. And you start seeing the world differently. Oh, yeah, you do. You, you oh, really absolutely. do start to see the world. And I started to do things like try and draw my saxophone <laughs> yeah. and things like that that I'm incredibly familiar with. Yet when I try and put it down on paper, I see it in a completely different way, even though I hold this instrument in my hand every day for the past 40 years. Well, just before we came in here, we were talking, and I said... Uh, does anyone come in at the age of 65? That's right. And uh, who's never had any instrument work at all, has never played an instrument. And you said yes. You've had yeah, some people yeah, do definitely. that. Because that gives me great hope. Yeah, I, you I should do it. I would love to play a sax for a little bit. You should. We have a lot of adult saxophone players here. And it's uh, one of the great things about the What's way... What's the hardest instrument to play? Or the easiest, I meant. Well, the easiest is the saxophone. I'm a saxophone player, so I can say that. But yeah, saxophone is pretty easy as far as instruments go. Um, uh, the hardest one for me would be play like violin. Violin is a terribly challenging instrument. However, the thing I... W- that's always at the beginning. I, I think when you th- look at instruments and say what's easy and hard to do, I'm always thinking of the first year. Because once you get past that first year of study, they're all equally challenging to really master. Exactly. You right, know, it, right, and it's right. like I'm... I, some people might look at visual arts and say photography is easier to do than drawing because you got your iPhone and you got your camera and you can right. do something. But once you get past the basics of doing it, to be a true photographic master, 
um, you really have to study and know your stuff and go through the process over yeah. and over again to refine your skill. Yeah. Um, my brother and sister-in-law are professional photographers, and I really have a true appreciation uh, through conversations with them and through other artists I know of the the reality of being an artist and a photographer as opposed to taking pictures. Exactly. You know, so so in many ways, maybe we could call the saxophone the camera yeah. of music. <laughs> <laughs> That's you know, a good. as as uh, you know as a simile to what's happening in the uh, visual arts world. Well, you make an interesting point, too, because it goes back to the idea of uh, childlike vision. Fear keeps people from doing a lot of creative things all the time. Again, children do not have fear about doing something creative. They don't think that way at that age. And so uh, whenever you can eliminate that little shadow that's part of our lives... And gets grow- bigger and bigger as you go through your your life. I think. Oh, definitely, and and it's a great um, thing to face and overcome. Exactly. Um, because the rewards that come with it um, are are remarkable. Yeah. No, you know? I. It's been interesting for me moving from network journalism, uh, which is a highly collaborative thing. Mm-hmm. Um, even though I did all my own writing and reporting, you got producers, you got executive producers, you got editors. And, and the great thing that I find with my art now is it's a one-man band. Yep, you know, yep. I shoot it, I bring it back home, I play with it, I do whatever I want with it. And if I succeed or fail, it's just me and I'm not having to go through you know, a huge line of uh, people who are going to question things. Tell me a little bit about how your career as a journalist informs your art today, because I know that um, as an artist, everything that happens to me in my life plays a role into how I interpret the the artistic world, how I play the saxophone, how I write a piece of music. Um, And sometimes it's not until much later that you can connect the dots to see how things work. But how do you see your career as playing into your life as an artist? Um, I hope I can keep this thought together. My memory seems to be fading over the, <laughs> But here's the basic idea. Uh, when I was, uh, you know, about mid-90s, I did this wild thing out of hitchhiking across America. Mm-hmm. I hitchhiked across the country and interviewed all the people I, I met. Uh, it was at the, when I, and then I ended up doing a long series of stories for ABC and some other, Bravo, et cetera. Uh, bottom line is, though, I first hitchhiked during a very dark period in American history. It was right after uh, the Oklahoma bombings. And the country was very paranoid, and it seemed a very dark place. But what I found on the road, from car after car and person after person, was that actually there was a huge amount of optimism and faith and uh, just a a sense that my life uh, kind of... works its own at its own level and we can talk about the darker things but the brighter things in our lives which come from family and love and creativity uh had sort of gotten pushed aside uh at that point in my life and so this reminded me that let's shoot for something that's engaging uh without being naive but optimistic and so my art I think has a little bit of two very distinct uh, artistic personalities, but Salvador Dali and Edward Hopper. 
And to me, both have, um, it's, not a, it's not a lightness, but there's a richness and a playfulness in their imagery. Um, and of course, for Hopper, light was, was huge. And Dolly, he just played right until he died, you know, I and mean, he was a complete crazy guy, which I loved. So what I, I basically feel like my network news career exposed me to some of the darkest things you can imagine. I mean, I've been in war zones. I've been at the, the, you know, an hour after a 757 with 163 people crashed in Kenner, Louisiana. I've been in all these kind of places. Um, but I find that the harder thing in the art world is to be accepted for an optimistic vision. There's something attached to darkness yep. that is cool, mm -hmm. at, typically. Not always, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, and I've kind of really tried to fight that. I uh -huh. say, you know, uh, something bright and engaging and, uh, in a sense, hopeful is as cool as anything you can possibly create. Oh, I agree. That's what I'm going for. Yeah, well, I mean, it's the same way in music. It's interesting. It's with audiences sometimes. I, I've run across people, particularly in the world of classical music, who feel like music should be uplifting and happy. But then when you go back and look at a lot of what Beethoven was actually writing about and what he was portraying in his life and a lot of what was going on during some of these time periods, a lot of it can be very dark yeah. at the same time. It's, yeah, it's not that you avoid the darkness at all. It's, mm -hmm. it's that you place it in its context. I think that's the important thing. Yeah. Well, that's fascinating. Um, we had someone in the gallery recently checking out one of your pieces. Um, I mean, they're checking out all of your works. But it was really fascinating to me because I, I've gotten familiar with all the pieces that are hanging here over the past month. That's cool. And I saw them focusing on one particular piece, and I saw them call someone in from the lobby to check out this piece. And I, I'm dying to hear. Well, it's, <laughs> it's it? the one that is the perspective of the South End, I think from the island, from Pierce Island or something yes. like that. Yeah. And it's a great photograph that um, you really worked a lot. Yeah. I mean, it's not just a straight photograph. In fact, if you see it from a distance, a lot of people think it's a painting yep. when they see it from a distance. And the comment the person had is, this this work of art works in reverse. They said, when you get really, really close to it, it gets crystal clear, and when you walk away from it, it gets fuzzier and fuzzier. And I think a lot of people are thinking in terms of like the uh, the George Surratt or something like that, yep. where when you get really, really close, you see lots of dots, and when you get away, it becomes clear. Right. So um, tell us a little bit about your process in working uh, digitally with a photographic image or a series of photographic images and how you might manipulate them in a way that achieves a certain artistic effect. Back Channel is the name of that piece, and it's a good example. It's, it's many different layers. I typically start with a series of photographs, straight, straight photographs. I often will weld those together, bleed those together in Photoshop. That gives me uh, the basic image. But then I start to, I'll do a lot of different things. I typically will do some filters, then I print it on a watercolor-based paper. I pastel or chalk on top of that. Uh, I'll rephotograph that or scan that, and then I'll add another layer to that. So you start building up these layers. So what happens is, 
uh, I can really have a nice soft kind of impressionistic cover. But as you get closer, if you you know you look more diligently, the photograph is still in there in places. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. And I like the combination of being surprised of the at the detail on the car window. Yep. But yep. Uh, the clouds are you know almost a dream. Yep. Yep. So that I do a lot of that. It's a mixed media kind of a thing, and. Um, it also gives me a style that's uh, slightly different than other people or most mm-hmm. most other people, which I think we're all kind of, we're either looking for or it comes naturally out of us. Um, so the mixed media is probably, I would imagine, about maybe 50% of what I do now. Nice. Maybe even more. Um, some straight photography. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't do a lot of portraits. But uh-huh. if I do a portrait of a uh, family, I... It's always in a natural setting. It's always outside. It's always catching people at a moment. Uh, nothing too mm-hmm. too strict and firm. And so um, that's the that's the basic uh, work process for me. Many layers. And then the other thing is erasing. Yeah. I th- I made the comment during this uh, during our little uh, master class session. I think about art is about ninety percent erasing 90 percent editing Mm -hmm. Uh, i certainly found that to be true in television news and journalism the the amount of blather the amount of just endless talking and too many words uh was the problem in so much journalism too many useless words i always think of the difference between prose and poetry you know prose is beautiful words when done correctly poetry most beautiful words in the most beautiful order. Yeah. So again, you keep stripping it, stripping it, stripping yep. it. That's what I find I'm doing a lot of with my artwork. I will maybe layer it 25 times, but then I'm back back in with the eraser yep. and coming looking for the thing that's down in it. Yeah, well, it's quite a process, and that's really, for me, what art is about and what I'm always interested in with an artist. So people who are listening might be able to hear in the background a pianist, right? You hear that? So yeah, it's cool. lesson time here in the afternoon, and we got all the young kids coming in and taking their piano lessons and their other lessons and their art classes. So one question I like to finish with everyone and, and ask them, because I'm really interested in this from a variety of different artistic perspectives, is if there's a piece of advice that you would give to a young person who's considering going into art. Um, they, they might want to study art, they're interested, they might be on the fence about going to college for art, or they might have fully committed to it and they say, I'm gonna be an artist. Um, what piece of advice would you give a young person? Or is there something that you wish you knew when you were young that you would say to someone now? Oh, those are, those are almost two different questions. <laughs> they are a little bit different, <laughs> they are. Well, pick, uh, pick the one that resonates you know, with you. Okay, they're, they're both good. Um, I, I, I would say, you can never work too hard uh, mm-hmm. is one of the places I would begin to answer that. You just, uh, with um, a lot of people are using their cameras now, yes. which is fabulous. It's really a renaissance time for photography. If you're going to do it, you got to carry your camera 24-7 because the thing that you see only exists for that moment in yes. time. And you can only—you got to be ready to shoot it. You got to yep. be ready to capture it. Or, in the, or with music, you got to be ready to play it oh, yeah. somehow. Yeah. Uh, so y- you've got to work 
your ass off. Yep. Uh, yep. And don't think there are, are any shortcuts because there aren't. Um, and then the other thing is let's end with where we began. To retain a sense of childlike joy and to remember that that's where the best stuff will come ultimately. Mm-hmm. You, it's going to be filtered through your experience and your and your traumas and your your everyday life. It's going to mm-hmm. be filtered through all that. So it's not like you are going back to be being a four-year-old, but try it. Yeah, no, I agree. That's wonderful advice. Well, as we listen to the vocal warm-ups of our neighboring students in the background, I want to say thank you for taking the time to come in and talk. It's been wonderful having your artwork hanging here. Tell people where they can find your artwork in Portsmouth. Always come down to the 82 Fleet Street, right next door to the Fresh Press. and uh, So it's right downtown. And uh, I'm open usually Thursday or Wednesday through Sunday from noon until I like to say magic hour. Nice, nice. Well, I'll come down to visit you real soon. Good. All right, thanks for coming in. Thank you so much for introducing me to Pima. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for joining us for today's podcast, Sound and Color, with our special guest, Jay Shadler. On today's podcast, you heard the music of Johnny Pfeiffer, who spoke earlier on the podcast about Wanderkook. Today we played Two-Faced Rag and River Goddess, both from The Adventures of Oliver Z. Wanderkook. The PMAC Podcast is produced by Pip Clues with executive producer Jennifer Minicucci, and it is a production of the Portsmouth Music and Arts Center, a nonprofit community music and visual arts school in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. I'm your host, Russ Grazier. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you soon.